Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome everyone to a Baseball America Draft Podcast along with Jim Callis. I'm John Manuel. It's part two of our 2012 Draft Megapod. I sat down with Nathan and Connor yesterday and uh, with Jim today. And Jimmy just wrote our first round mock, our first mock draft of the year. Let's just dive right into that, Jim. Uh, pretty uh, unpredictable first round. I just talked to Jeff Luno earlier this week for our overview story. And the general manager of the Astros and obviously former sky director of the Cardinals said, anyone who tells you they can predict picks 1 to 41 is kidding themselves. And I said, well, that won't stop Jim from doing his first mock this week. And he laughed and said, I can't wait for Jim's first mock. I want to see what he thinks will happen between 1 and 41. So the industry awaits, Jim. And uh, what did you have to tell them? Well, I mean, I, I, I'd be curious if Jeff Lunau likes my number one pick. I mean, we keep hearing the same thing with the Astros, that with the first pick, they're kind of looking at five guys. Byron Buxton, the, the five-tool center fielder from a Georgia high school, Florida catcher Mike Zanino, and then the three best college pitchers, uh, Stanford's Mark Appel, LSU's Kevin Gossman, and San Francisco's Kyle Zimmer. I, I continue to hear, at least other teams think, that you know, scouting director Bobby Heck and his staff favor Buxton but that the higher-ups in the organization want a guy who's going to help them quicker, and that would lead him to a pitcher. And as of right now, people seem to think that pitcher would be Mark Appel. I, I think that Mark Appel is very likely for them. I will say there's always a drag when uh, with the news on this. Doesn't it feel like there's always like two or three weeks drag of buzz in the industry getting to us uh, with players? That just feels like that's the usual rule. Um, I don't know. I mean, this time of year, everybody's talking to everybody else. I, I don't know if it takes quite that long. I mean, I, I think these things sometimes take a life of their own, too, where I know in the past, you know, we'll do a, we'll do some kind of first-round projection and, and have something, you know, that seems crazy out there, and then I'll get the rumor repeated back to me by somebody. So, uh, I, you know, I just think this draft, you know, with the new rules, with the lack of clear-cut guys that people love at the top of the draft, I mean, there's some good players, but not it's not like last year where you know you could keep be picking seventh and feel like you're getting a guy who's a number one caliber talent. Um, it, it makes it difficult, and because nobody's really sure what the Astros are doing, you know the, the Twins don't know what they're doing, the Mariners don't know what they're doing at three. Um, you know the dominoes have yet to fall, really. That's a great point, and I think uh, you know to me it just feels like there's a little bit of lag time. I could be wrong. Uh, maybe it's not two or three weeks, but there's a. It takes a while for those rumors to percolate among the scouts and the travel even in today's uh hyper uh in uh, informed world um but let's start right there at the top jim uh, we've got byron buxton as our number one player on our board uh the top 200 will start getting rolled out next week um but this is even he like i had a cross checker tell me even buxton just comparing him to the last georgia prep who got taken first overall tim beckham uh who i don't know if that if tim beckham's lack of success as a pro and now obviously, his 50-game suspension, I don't think that has anything to do with Byron Buxton. But I do think teams look at, hey, the last time a Georgia prep guy went first overall, it didn't really go well. Do you feel like that's – will that have any bearing on uh, you know, a player like Buxton going up high? Do you feel like 
do teams when they're going in the first round take those kind of track record things into account, such as you know, DJ Davis being a high school raw outfielder from Mississippi, or the track record of those guys really isn't very good at all? I think maybe a little bit, but I think they look at the the players, you know, individually too. I mean, if you want to start talking about the demographics of Georgia, you know, up the middle players taking high. <laughs> I mean, it's not just Tim Beckham not looking good. I mean, you got Delano DeShields Jr., you got Donovan Tate. I mean, it's kind of a scary track record there. Um, you know, I will say with Buxton, I mean, I do think he he compares favorably to uh, to Bubba Starling from a year ago. Um, when I ask guys, I mean, it's easy to ask people. You know, I'm talking to directors. Who would you pick one one? You know, every guy I've asked has given me a direct answer. Has said Buxton pretty much without hesitation. But I also will acknowledge that that's a lot easier to say than when you have the number one pick. And it's easy for me to say, and I've said this many times, I would take the best guy. I think the Astros have to take the best guy available, whoever they think that is. It may not be the same guy we think, which is fine. But I think if the Astros do think Byron Buxton is the best guy, they should take him. They need a lot of help. They're not going to contend imminently. They got to get the best player, even if they have to wait a little bit longer for him. But that said, I will acknowledge that's easy for me to come out and say that because I'm not trying to turn the Astros around, and I don't have a bad team that needs a lot of help. And you know, I'm not spending, you know, 7.2 million is the assigned pick value for that. I'm not spending millions of my dollars on that decision. Um, it's a lot easier to say that they should pick the best guy, even if they have to wait four or five years for him. You know, then if you're actually working on a team and thinking, man, do I really want to wait, you know, three or four years? You know, as good as Buxton is, I, I don't think he's going to be one of these guys to make an impact in 2013 or 2014, and and maybe not even 2015. He'll be, he'll be 20 or 21 years old. Great point, and those are very uh, telling and uh, important points about. It, it's just very different to me drafting first and uh, not drafting first. It's a lot easier to say. Uh, that said, Jim. Uh, does feel like the Twins and the Mariners at two and three kind of would love to see, I would imagine, things work out a lot better at the top of the draft if the Astros take a college pitcher first, doesn't it? Because the, uh, the Mariners, uh, we know how they value catching and catcher defense. We saw that with Stephen Barron being a supplemental first rounder a couple of years ago, really kind of shoved up their board a little bit higher than he might otherwise have been. And that, that hasn't worked out great, but you know, you know, Greg Zanino is a very different player. And that, and the Twins, for all their needs for pitching, I mean, Byron Bucks is just like a tailor-made Twins player, isn't he? Yeah, and I, and I do think, you, you know, other teams are telling me, you know, the, the Twins, you know, Mike Radcliffe and, and, and Deron Johnson and those guys have been there for a long time, that everybody feels like the Twins are a traditional team. They're going to set up their draft board, and they're going to take the top guy. Now, the Twins, you know, obviously need a front-line type of starting pitcher. But a sense among, you know, talking to people you know, who, who know those guys because they've been there forever is if they think Buxton's the number one guy, they're going to take Buxton even if, if they have a crying need for pitching. Um, and, and I think, you know, to me that would be great because you, you get some value there. You know, the, the other thing is if Buxton goes one, I, I think the Twins could take Zanino um, and then move Joe Maurer to a position that's less demanding and maybe, you know, get more out of his bat and keep him in the lineup, you know, more regularly than they have been the last couple of years. Um, but I think with the Twins, if we could somehow sneak into their uh, offices and get a look at their actual draft board, you know they're not going to ship guys around based on need. They're taking the guy they think is the best guy. That is uh, my sense as well with the Twins. And I, I will say this. Uh, I, I've, I've met Ron Johnson a few times. I like him personally. I've met Mike Rackle a few times. like him personally. I think that the whole industry, Jim, holds Mike Rackle in the highest regard. That said – 
the Twins' recent scouting track record, in the, the recent draft track record, is atrocious. I, I don't know how else you can say it. Uh, Kyle Gibson hurt. Alex Wimmers hurt. Ben Toodle, uh, the left hand out of Indiana, Matt Bayshore hurt. Shooter Hunt, bad, hurt. Uh, lost in the minor league rule five draft. Carlos Gutierrez, 2008 first round pick, not working out. Doing their farm system, uh, you know, top 30s for the last six, seven years. Gotten a little bit worse every year. Um, this year, especially finding pitching talent in their farm system was very difficult. This is a huge draft for them. I think every team thinks it's a big draft, and obviously it's a big draft for the for the Astros being first, uh, you know, first overall, picking one forty-one, sixty-one. But I think it's crucial for the Twins because they're spending so much money on their big league roster. They just fired a general manager last year. They just bring Terry Ryan back in. It just feels like it's a big draft for the Twins. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't see how the trends can keep on being negative there at the major league level and the minor league level and people keep their jobs. Well, you know, and that's why the Twins are where they are. I mean, you know, they have increased the major league payroll, but they've also sunk some money into, you know, guys like Morneau and Mallard have had a hard time staying healthy. Um, and as you pointed out, they haven't drafted as well recently. They aren't getting, you know, impact from their farm system. And in the last few years, which they did for a number of years, which is how they were able to contend before they got the new ballpark. And, you know, obviously when you're picking at the top of the draft, you're not picking at the top of the draft because you had a good year. Um, you know, every once in a while you'll have a team that's picking pretty high that, that has a quick turnaround and is surprisingly contending, which is not the Twins. Um, and you're right. I mean, they need to get an impact player with this pick. Baseball America podcast with John Manuel and Jim Callis. Jim, uh, let's look at, like, our top ten, which we haven't released yet. I uh, won't we'll give you a little sneak peek here on the podcast. Byron Buxton, Mike Zadino. Kyle Zimmer, Mark Appel, Kevin Gossman. That's our top five with Carlos Correa six. I think that's a pretty safe six. Is there, unless a Lucas Giolito, for example, who was our number one high school player coming into the year, uh, then had an elbow sprain. Unless Lucas Giolito throws a couple times before the draft and is lights out before the draft, is there any other player who you think can – Will be in some other in another team's top six. Will be in their board. Uh, not saying it could go in the first six selections, but there's another player you think that could break into that top six on a team's board. Maybe Albert Almora, you know, the, the high school outfielder from Florida, who, who's got, you know, he, you know, I think Buxton, you know, has, you know, you can dream and, and put a lot of sevens on the two date scouting scale on his tools, and Almora might be more sixes than sevens. But I think Almora has better instincts, and he's more polished, and, and, and scouts love him, I, I think. I, I think he's a guy, because um, I do think, you know, it's interesting, when he talked to people about the three college pitchers, you get different things from different people. You know, right. I, I've, I've talked to people who, you know, I've talked to people who like Mark Appel. I've talked to people who are very frustrated that Appel does not dominate consistently with his stuff like they think he should, and they think you can see the ball out of his hand well, and he pitches up and straight a little bit. So I've heard both ways on him. You know, on, on Kyle Zimmer, you know, you, you've had the velocities fluctuated a lot at, at, at times this spring. So some guys have seen him really good. Other guys have just seen him okay. You don't have a ton of track record to go on with him on the mound. And, and with Kevin Gossman, I've had some guys tell me they think he's the best of the three college pitchers. I had a guy yesterday who, who doesn't really like his breaking ball very much. There's a lot and, of And wondered, you know, I don't think – yeah, I don't think it's a, it's a, it's the best comp. You and I talked about this, you know, off the the air. But you know, one guy compared him to Dewan Brazelton as a guy 
who had a you know really good arm and a and a good changeup and didn't have much of a breaking ball. And then when he got to pro ball and pitched more, his velocity went down, so he didn't have as much separation from his changeup, and the lack of a breaking ball killed him. I, I like Kevin Gossman better than Dewan Brazelton. Although I mean I will say at the time I think we all like Dewan Brazelton, but but you know just with the three pitchers, I don't think everybody. That's the one thing I guess I sense is that teams, those are the top three college pitchers, but I don't sense that every team likes all three of them. You know, like I, I think that's very fair. I think that's very where, fair. Where, you know, where if one of them fell out of the first five picks, I don't necessarily think that they're going to get pounced on at six and seven. Um, you know, depending on who else is on the board. Um, it, it seems to me the guys who are maybe less, I mean, you know, more universally liked are Buxton with the acknowledgement that he's less polished and Zanino. I mean, I don't think this is going to happen, John, but like, and I thought this coming into the year and we talked about this, I think in an earlier podcast, Zanino, I mean, I don't know if you're hanging a lot of sixes on him, um, but he's a catcher with a lot of fives and 55s. I mean, I think he's a solid defender who's going to have power and, and be a solid hitter. He could go one, he could go two. Um, and, you know, I think he's a guy that's pretty quick, you know, for a team that wants a, a more immediate impact, Mike Zanino might be uh, – not that you're looking to go safe at the top of the draft, but Mike Zanino might be a safer bet than any of these pitchers. I agree. I he might Mike be the Zanino safest bet safer of the, that, that top five. I think he is a safer bet than any of those college pitchers because I think the one thing with Zanino is the, the negatives. And, and with the guys at the top this year, I really like – your scouting reports, the positives on those guys are easy. The negatives are where are harder because everyone likes the player. So with my – reporting on, say, Mike Zanino or Byron Buxton, I really try to focus more on scouts on the negatives. And those guys are both in the southeast. Kevin Gossman as well. So I really try to bear down on what they don't do. With Gossman, it was easy. People, I talked at length with people about his breaking ball. It was easier for me to, to write him because Aaron Fitt had just seen him and talked to, just did a feature on Kevin Gossman, talked to Gossman about it, talked to uh, Alan Dunn, the esteemed pitching coach at LSU, uh, who you know people may not remember. He was a Long-time pitching coach in the Cubs organization. Uh, I remember the first time I talked to, to, to Alan Dunn. He was the pitching coach at Double A when uh, Mark Pryor made his debut. So, uh, you know, talked to Gossman. Uh, you know, Aaron, so my report on Gossman was easier to write, and the, the positives and negatives about his breaking ball and kind of the history of his breaking ball. But Buxton and Zanino, it was a little bit harder to find negatives. And Buxton, he's a high school player, so they're there. Mike Zanino, it's nitpicky. Yeah, he's having a hard time with the slider down and away. Well, most right-handed hitters have that problem, especially when they hit for power. Yeah. Boxes a ball here or there behind the plate, you know, might be fighting some fatigue a little bit at this time of year. Now, that's an issue, but I think that's an issue that everyone was confident that he would get better at. And the, the biggest question I think people have about him is the athleticism. He's just not a premium athlete. He's definitely not a fast-switch guy. He's not a bad athlete, but, I mean, how many catchers are great athletes? I mean. I mean, you know, one, one scout told me, like, you know, Brian McCann. That's what that's the knock everyone had on Brian McCann. Not saying that Zanino was going to be McCann, but people really had – people who doubted Brian McCann out of high school doubted him because of the athleticism and d doubted that he'd be able to keep it up. And the picture I always have of Brian McCann in my head is he seems like he's always in the lineup for, like, 130 games. He's got the same swing, maybe even a better swing than he had when he first came into the big leagues. He's so consistent. And I always remember him playing outfield for USA Baseball in the World Baseball Classic. I mean, that tells me he's got better athleticism than the body looks. And I've had that same comment made about Zanino when I asked another scout about the athleticism. So I'm completely with you. I think he's the safest player in the draft, even if there's not a 
even if he winds up being a guy who's just got a lot of 50s across the board with the exception of his speed. Um, Jim, a couple other guys I wanted to ask you about in the first round, and I'm completely with you, by the way, on Almora. Uh, I had a scout tell me that uh, he's a 40 runner who has 80 range. And, I mean, that's just that tells you how good his instincts are uh, in center field. Uh, he's a now defender. Um, for me, and I don't, I don't even, I don't even have the Carolinas, but I want to talk about some of the risers I talked about in the, the Southeast this year were guys like DJ Davis. I already mentioned, I, I called him a raw Mississippi outfielder, I guess, compared to most players, he's raw compared to Mississippi high school outfielder. He's really not that raw. Uh, I would definitely say he's on the polished side for a high school Mississippi outfielder. Um, Corey Seager in North Carolina has some helium. Lance McCullers is the last guy who seems like he has helium this spring gym and, You've probably been asked about McCullers on Twitter for the entire time you've been on Twitter. I feel like he's a guy that we get more email questions or chat questions or Twitter questions about than just about any player in this draft class. What's your take on him? Well, I think we do, and I think that's because he was identified as a sophomore as potentially the top high school player in this crop. You know, he's a a tough guy for some guys to to, to take exactly. I mean, can't argue with the stuff. You know, it's a mid-'90s fastball. It's a hard slider. You know, it's just you have, you know, some guys still think in the long run he's a reliever rather than a starter. I, I do think people uh, uh, feel better about him as a starter this year. He, he's throwing with less effort, but but you still hear that. And, you know, I don't think there's any question, especially with Giolito Hurt right now, that, that McCullers has, you know, probably as good arm as anybody uh, on the high school side. You know, it, it's right there with anybody's arm. You know, the question is how high do you take a guy if you think he might be a reliever? You know, it's – Similarly, on the on the college side, you kind of have the same story with Marcus Stroman at Duke, who, who probably has the, the the best stuff, best electric stuff in this draft. But he's five foot nine. You know, he's really athletic. I do think whoever takes him, there's a good chance they run Marcus Stroman out as starter. And I do think Marcus Stroman is going to go in the first ten picks, probably somewhere six to ten. Um, I, you know, we have McCullers, I think, right now at, at 17 for the Blue Jays in our first round projection. But if you told me he he wants to. Six to ten, I could see that too. And you know, the crazy thing is, I had two different scouting directors, John, yesterday, make the same comment to me about Marcus Stroman, about how much they love. Everybody refers to how he's the best arm in the draft, but uh, and I don't know if they were at the same game and, and just saw some really terrible defense. But uh, two scouting directors made the same comment to me yesterday that that a Stroman, I, I guess Duke's defense is terrible this year, yes. and that Stroman would have a sub one ERA if like he pitched at Florida State. That that it's it almost makes him appreciate him more because he has to work that much harder because they just don't make plays behind him. And, you know, and it affects him. He wants to throw him more pitches, and it, it takes him more pitches to go deeper into games. But uh, I got a little sidetracked there. But but McCullers and Stroman, that, that, you know, I think everybody loves their arm. It's just a question of if you think this guy's a reliever, how high can you really take a reliever in the first round of the draft? Yeah, that was my uh, that was the discussion we had Sunday night, uh, part of our Top 200 meeting. Epic top 200 meeting. Those always take three hours. Uh, that one took right at three hours. That was a fun meeting, and that uh, part of the reason it was a fun meeting was uh, everyone everyone has information. Everyone has thorough information on their regions, and uh, you know, my region is, I believe, unfairly loaded this year, Jim. I counted up. I believe I did 37 of the 95 reports for the print edition uh, that went out yesterday. So that were top two rounds. I think I have 36 more dudes to do for numbers 96 to 200. Uh, so how how is your region? We'll wrap up the podcast because uh, we've got to go. Uh, wrap up a little early, but 
how good is your region? Is your region basically Texas and everything else? Yeah, I mean, Texas usually dominates the Midwest, but a lot of my states, you know, I have Texas all the way up to the Dakotas and then kind of heading east towards the, the, the Big Ten states, the Big Ten conference states. Just not very strong. I mean, I have some states that are that are really, really down. You know, we put one to five stars on our states. Um, I think I've got, you know, a lot of two stars and even a couple one-star states. Uh, the region's just really down. You know, Texas, and even Texas, John, it does not have its usual, you know, you have huge star power at the top. Although I do think Texas is very, very deep. The the, the only caveat there is is there there are as always a lot of good high school players in Texas. I don't know with these new rules how many of those guys are going to be signable outside of rounds two and maybe three. Yeah, that's going to be a tough part of it. It sounds like uh, just the, and obviously the signability. We could we could do a whole podcast just on the you know just on how the new CBA is going to affect the draft. Real quick, Jim, I mean, it just seems like they're, it's very likely they're going to be players drafted in the first round and the supplemental round who are not necessarily first-round talent, but they're guys who are players. To me, I'm just going to use this as an example. They're going to be guys like Ben Revere, guys that the Twins were – they liked Ben Revere. They liked him enough that they took him in the first round and signed him for what they wanted, and it was to happen to be $750,000 that year. That's the lowest signing bonus for a position player in the first round who's healthy in a long, long time. I think it still is going back to 1997. To me, it feels like there are going to be a lot of guys like that where the team likes the player. He'll sign for what they want to sign a player for there, and that will allow them to do some other things with their bonus pool later on. Yeah, the sense I'm getting from talking to teams is, is that if there's a guy that you're going to have to overpay, you've got to pair him up with a guy you can sign for below his pick value so you don't go over your – Overall bonus pool by more than 5% lose first-round pick. And the way – what teams are telling me is, is that if you're going to do that, you're going to take the cheap guy first to make sure you get him, you know what you're paying him, you, know, you, you work that out, and then you have the extra money to spend on the second guy. If you, if you do it in reverse, if you take your expensive guy first and somebody else takes the guy you like that you know you can sign at a discount, then all of a sudden you're scrambling to find another guy that you like enough to take high – and discount him, and you could get really stuck. So I think you are going to see these these guys paired up with more expensive guys, and the guy you can kind of deal with is going to go in the first round. So yes, I, I I totally agree with that. It wouldn't surprise me at all if we had you know three or four guys we didn't see coming go in the first round. And you mentioned like Ben Revere, and I'm thinking of guys like Cito Culver and Hayden Simpson. Those were guys that teams like. There was no manipulation. That's just they felt like they had to take the guy there to get him. But now if you like a Ben Revere or Cito Culver or a Hayden Simpson or one of these surprise first-round picks from the last few years, you're going to take the discount and use that money somewhere else. So I think you'll have some guys, you know, you might have a guy who legitimately likes somebody in the first round, but you're going to see a lot of guys pushed into the first round just because they can discount them. Jim, to wrap up the podcast, uh, I asked Connor and Nathan this. I will ask Aaron this on Monday's college podcast, and Aaron does our uh, the West uh, Southern California uh, draft coverage for us. Who's your personal cheese ball? Who's the guy? I would say outside the top 200. Uh, it can be someone like Rhett Weissman if you want to make it Rhett Weissman. But who's your guy in the top 200 for you, or either at the back of the top 200 or outside the top 200 that you really like, uh, who maybe is not as much of a consensus guy? Well, well Rhett Weissman is Connor's guy. So, I know. Uh, I'm not. I don't. I don't get Rhett Weissman. Uh, I'm saying I mean, it can be me, a Red Weissman you, type is what I meant to say. A guy who's a top 200 uh, guy, but I got uh, not a consensus guy. Uh, I mean, I don't know if I if I have a guy that I'm just in love with, like Connor's in love 
with, with Rhett Weissman. I mean, I do think there are, you know, I, I do think a, a sleeper who, who may even go in the, in the first four or five rounds, Dakota Backus at Indiana State, a lot of guys like him. I don't think he's gotten a whole lot of press. Um, I, I think he's a real, real interesting guy. He's a, he's a guy who was at Southeastern uh, Community College in Iowa last year. He's got a solid fastball and a plus slider. And I mean, you know, is he going to be a number one or two starter? No, he's not going to be that in the big leagues. But I think, you know, we could look up and Dakota Backus could be one of those guys who gets to the big leagues very quick as a reliever if somebody does that with him. What's his name again? Dakota what? It's, it's Backus, B-A-C-U-S, Dakota Backus at Indiana State. So see, you, you made me go outside the top 200. I went way off the board for you. So. I love that. Is he Greek? I, I, I cannot attest to his, uh, his heritage. <laughs> you, you will have to research whether Dakota Backus is going to be a member of your, uh, your future Greek uh, you know, world baseball team. We'll check on that and see. Uh, mine was Brandon Miller out of Sanford. Uh, he's my Luke Merton, I guess, this year, which uh, I keep making that joke. Luke Merton, probably the uh, one of the worst uh, players I've put on my top 200 list. And I don't mean to bash on Luke Merton. He just was not a top 200 player, but I had one good scouting report on him that made me put him in the top 200. So uh, Luke Burton actually had some uh, productivity in pro ball before he uh, gave it up this year with the uh, Yankees. He did hit for power in uh, pro ball. So I don't mean to bash on Luke, but uh, that's, that's kind of what it is. Jim, I think we're going to do some more draft chats and more draft podcasts as we go on. And when's our next mock draft? <laughs> it's funny you ask that because I keep uh, – I don't work in the office. I keep sending emails asking that very question, and, and I do not, not know. I have not been told what the next mock draft is. I think the way we've done them in the past, John, is we had this one that just came out. We usually do one in two weeks from now, which is still you know premature in terms of really knowing what's going on. And then we do one, I want to say, the Friday before the draft. You, me, and Connor the last couple of years have done our – I wouldn't call it a mock draft, but a who we who we would pick draft. We alternate the picks over that weekend, yeah. and then the morning of the draft, the Monday, I usually do another one. So I, that's that's my understanding, but uh, don't hold me to that because nobody has confirmed that for me. I was going to say two weeks was my assumption, but uh, that, I'm operating on that assumption, and I'm hoping I don't find out like next Thursday that there's one due on the 18th. Well, since uh, you're the executive editor and I'm the editor-in-chief, we'll, we'll go forward to say two weeks, but something could always change if the advertising side wants something to change. So keep keep, exactly. it, uh, keep it tuned into at Baseball America or at Jim Callis BA on Twitter or uh, visit BaseballAmerica.com for more on when we have our next mock draft. All right, Jim, uh, sorry for the short podcast. We had some technical issues on our end, but uh, glad we got them worked out. Look forward to the next one. Yeah, exactly. I enjoy doing these too. All right, for Jim Callis, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.